those days was recorded at the Richmond Library on unceded stolen Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri Wurrung people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to the elders past and present. Welcome to In Those Days, a podcast where we talk about yesterday's news today. On this episode, Christina and I are joined by broadcaster and content creator Charlie Pickering and we're talking about the Royal Derby, which is a pub in Fitzroy. Now, Charlie started a comedy room at the Derby in the early 2000s with his friend and fellow comic Michael Chamberlain and the room was called Stage Time. So at the start of the episode, Christina and I had a quick chat about our experiences performing there in the very, very early days when we first started performing stand-up. And then Charlie came by to tell us about the kind of philosophy behind the room and the how and the why and the when and where was kind of obvious. But anyway, and then I had brought some as per usual. I'd done some research, got some newspaper articles from Trove about the Royal Derby. And these articles mainly focused on the tenure of the licensee Joe Cody in the 1880s. So I really enjoyed reminiscing with Charlie and Christina about the olden days at the Royal Derby and we got into a lot of different things. We talked about art and ambition. We talked about friendship and rants. Um, But ultimately, no person and no pub is ever just one thing. I hope you enjoy a very small slice of the multitudes that the Royal Derby contains. Stage time, comedy at the Derby. You performed there, didn't you, Christina? Sure did, Penny. Tell me about that. That was the site of my first ever stand-up comedy gig. What a night. How were you convinced to do that? The group that I performed with, the Improbables, they signed me up to perform and then told me that I was going to perform. Um, I did not know that. Yes, and it was all so that Adam McKenzie could film me and that was part of his documentary and Andrew McClelland had his first stand-up comedy gig that night as well. I think I was there that night. Yeah, so the whole thing was recorded plus the lead up in the couple of weeks beforehand was filmed as well. It went really well, didn't it? It did go well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> when I have watched that tape back and listened to some of the sound grabs, I'm quite alarmed that that was <laughs> what I came up with. But Do you remember what you talked about? Oh, I first... do. I remember there was something about being on work experience with a vet and dissecting a dog's leg. It was all quite weird. Not something I would do again. You started out as an impro troupe. That's right. And then you all became stand-ups eventually. Yes. Exactly. We all had to do what everyone else was doing. <laughs> there was no option. So, I mean, I guess in some ways it was good in that I was forced to do it because <laughs> I possibly wouldn't have otherwise. I did not know about you that because you yeah. then went on to do a lot of stand-up. So I, I did. Cute. Yeah, so it was good to be pushed over the edge. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to tell you about how I, uh, my first time I do. at the stage show? Yeah. I did raw comedy and I had absolutely no idea about anything about comedy. And then afterwards, I won the heat just quietly and went went much better than I expected. And then afterwards, Charlie came up to me and said, 
that was good. Do you want to come and do a spot in my room? Nice. And I had no idea what most of that sentence meant. <laughs> I was literally looking around going, what room? What are you talking about? What? I didn't know what a spot was. I nice. had no idea. And then I think he must have explained it a bit more. But then I remember the first time I went to stage time, the night before I did, do you remember Champagne Comedy at the Armadale? I do. I do remember Champagne Comedy. Did you do Champagne comedy. comedy at the Armadale? I feel I might have. Did you? Yeah. 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 And um, it was one of those ones. I was on very late at night and it was my second ever gig. Uh, maybe one person laughed just at the yeah. very end. Good. Otherwise it was dead silence. And I got off stage and I was like so, oh, like it was like the worst nightmare it is coming true. yes. It's like what you imagine. It's the fear that people yeah. have when they think about doing stand-up. It oh, ha- absolutely. It happened to me in real life. <laughs> then these three other comics came up to me and, like, surrounded me and said, don't worry about it. Everyone dies here. It doesn't matter, you know, I, don't I be scared. I did die there, yes. And then um, and they said, oh, tomorrow's stage time. Come to stage time at the Derby. And oh, we'll be forgiven. We'll all be there and it'll be fun. So the next night I went. I wasn't performing, but it was just really, really nice. And everyone was so friendly. And so I went from having, like, the nightmare of, to, oh, no, it's fine. Everyone yeah. does at the arm. Yeah, it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> Don't go back there. That's the lesson learned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did. Unfortunately, I did not take that lesson. No, no. I think we all returned there multiple times. Yeah. So I had. It was a very nice place for me to go. Yeah, it was very nice. It was very welcoming. And I, um, you might know, I, I say this all the time, Christina, but I am from the country. I did. I did know that about you, Penny. And so I. It's one of the first times I met your dad. He tried to give me eggs. <laughs> he does do that. Yeah. Most times. It's good to share. When he sees people. I, actually, I remember him doing that at other comedy venues. Yes, like I remember him bringing them and just handing them out to random people. Yeah. So I'm from the country, so my first year at uni, I didn't really make that many friends. Oh, neither did I. I was very lonely yeah, at I Melbourne had a Uni. a sad first year at uni. Yeah, and all my other friends from the country were starting to make friends in Melbourne. Mm, and you so didn't I, amalgamate. I didn't. I did not assimilate no. very well. So actually... It was when I started doing stand-up and going to places like the Royal Derby. That was like the first place that I went in Melbourne where I felt like people, <laughs> it was okay. I think, yeah, first year uni was really daunting for me as well. I didn't enjoy myself at I all. thought it was just kids from the country. No, because I wanted to get into vet science, so I felt like my first year of uni was what year 12 was for most people. I hadn't gone hell for leather in year 12. I'd kind of cruised along. And then first uni was my horror show. Because that is super stressful. But then you got the marks and then you didn't do it, No, I didn't get the marks. (gasps) I got the marks to get a full fee-paying place, Uh, but I couldn't take that. So that's okay. I've reconciled that in my head now. So when did you start doing Improbables? Were they Um, In second year. Ah, same thing. I think there was a lot of reflection and you can't have another year like you had last year (laughs) or else it's not going to work because I started to go, should I take a year off and be a Jillaroo? Like I started to have (laughs) massive crises. I still think maybe you should take a year off to be a Jillaroo. Maybe it is required. Yeah, I don't know. It could be beneficial. At any point you could yeah. do that. <laughs> it is there as the backup plan. Because I actually did have the form and everything. I was quite serious. <laughs> the Jillaroo form. Yeah, the Jillaroo form. Isn't the name Jill? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just surname, Aru. 
great. So how did you actually um, meet the Improbables, such as they were before they were, when they were probable? At the time, there was a real click in the Melbourne Uni theatre scene. A lot of people who were in the original Improbables had tried to get into various things and had been quite unsuccessful. And I think we're all basically little theatre nerds from high school. Lawrence and Andrew advertised that they were going to put did this Did you respond together. to an ad? And I did, which was very bold of me. But it also, um, a girl I had gone to school with also came along to that as well. So Did back- she get in? No. <laughs> and then but everything changed. Then everything Vistas changed. Vistas opened up. Just amazing Matching successes. T-shirts were printed. Yep. The black frame glasses that were non-prescription with a pink lens that I wore constantly. And the thing is, even I was at Melbourne Uni at the same, roughly the same time, but I never saw the Improbables perform as a group, but I saw you, I knew you all separately when you were doing stand-up. And then... Last year, in 2023, the Improbables reunited. We did. And for one night only. And when can you miss it? A lot of people did miss it. <laughs> well, the room was packed. It was sold out. Mm. They simply could not get in I mean, had they wanted to. Exactly. But I bought my ticket very early. And, very keen. And I was there and I was just absolutely... Ex- I, no one was more excited than me <laughs> and I was doing sort of expectation management on myself. Yeah, in the, you have to limit the In the lead-up, I was saying, Penny, yeah. it might not come it on. It might be uncomfortably bad. I haven't performed together for a while. And then I got there and it, as good as I'd just hoped. Just seamless. It was beautiful <laughs> and I just smiled. I was grinning and laughing the whole way through. Like It was a fun time. I mean, it I was, was very fun. I think I was wearing a face mask, but otherwise I, Other, I looked around. Underneath it was happening. <laughs> We're very lucky to have Charlie Pickering here and he is... I'm going to list some things and let me know if I've left off anything. That would be the most arrogant thing to yeah, do. You yeah, you reckon? Oh, Excuse me. I think me. you'll find Excuse some of my other achievements in um, I think you'll find three-time winner of the Brighton Grammar Public Speaking <laughs> yeah. Competition was not on that list. I am disappointing. <laughs> yeah. OK, I think you're a comedian, you're a TV host, you're an author, producer... What, anything else you're that's doing, that's, that's good. Yeah. I say things like broadcaster. Broadcaster. Just to, just to encapsulate everything. But that yeah. makes me, it shows that I believe in heritage media more than that's these okay. kids today. Ah, uh, right. If you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. content creators. I'm a broadcaster. Yes. I think you are, though. A content creator. A broadcaster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both. Both. <laughs> but anyway, that got I, awkward. Uh, <laughs> I met you, I think, about 25-ish years ago. It's oh, close to. Yeah, yeah, and I was telling Christina it was um, after my first ever gig and you came up and you asked me if I wanted to come and perform at the Royal Derby at your show Stage Time. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> we're talking about two sets of olden days, really. Are we, sorry, are we talking about your first gig no, or that conversation? we are talking about <laughs> the Royal Derby. We're just going to analyse that conversation <laughs> yeah. for an hour. No, the Royal Derby. So we're talking about the olden days in the Royal Derby, mm-hmm. both when you ran a comedy room there and then even more olden days than even that. Even more. Going back to when it first. Uh, yeah, was and a pub. I think anything called the Royal Derby, it has to be yeah, old. There's got to be stuff going on. Yeah, and like. Maybe there were murders there. We don't know. Well, I looked, but I couldn't. I mean, there are a few uh, dead children, but. We ran a comedy night. There were lots of deaths. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people died up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in a supportive way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Welcoming environment. Yeah. So we use um, Trove a lot for this podcast. Mm. 
digitised newspapers, particularly in Trove. Do you use Trove for work or fun? Do you know, it's come up a couple of times researching for the weekly. Like if we, Mm. I remember we did a deep dive piece about Western Australian secession. Mm -hmm. Ah, About the long-standing movement for Western Australian independence to be their own country. And to find stuff on that, Trove was really good. I'm just trying to think... It comes up occasionally. I'm very familiar with it because my wife is also a writer. Yeah. And she does, she's much better at research than I am. Yeah. And so she will find things on Trove that I never knew existed. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with Trove and what it does. And it, it is one of those things that we are so privileged having the internet because we grew up without it. Yeah. We know what life was like before the internet. And, and now we go like, oh, I want this thing to exist and you search it and just expect it to be there. It's like whatever you yeah. imagine is going to appear on the internet. And Trove for me is one of those places where that can happen. So you can find out things that would have been very difficult to discover and would have taken a lot of time. It's really kind of on legwork, you'd have to actually go mm. to physical archives and find yeah. things. I remember when I was at university, things weren't really digitised at all. No, it was, was hard. It was hard work. Yeah, you had to. Oh, there was a go lot to of photocopying. Yeah, lug books. books around. Oh no! And no. if someone had got there first and taken the books that That's you right. needed, you... so I have found some articles on the Royal Derby in Trove. There were actually quite a few. Your uh, background with the Royal Derby is that you started stage time there. What year did you start it? The first ever stage time show we did, if I'm correct, was it was either 99 or 2000. We did a three-week run, and by that, yeah. that was three Tuesday nights in the Fringe Festival. So okay. it was in around October, and I think it was either 99 or 2000. I think it might have been even 99 was okay. the first time yeah. that we did it. All right, so I was in year 12 that year. I didn't go go to that one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I'm so young. Yeah. Um, So young and fresh. Um, (laughs) So, but it wasn't just you. You started with Michael Chamberlain, didn't you? Yes, and we were sort of creative partners. Like, we were in a comedy duo. Or really, the comedy duo kind of came out of that a bit. It was a bit chicken and egg. But we also, we were running a little trying to run a production company and make sketch comedy pilots Mm. and try and get jobs in TV. And so organised. We, we, it's funny. Mm. Everyone said that at the time. I mean, Michael will tell you that I'm not organised in any way whatsoever. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, see, I think it's interesting. He's more organised than I am and I'm more driven, I think, like I was. Yeah. And so I think that was always a good mix. He yeah. was always oh, uncomfortable. Yeah. He was always uncomfortable talking up what we were doing and that was the thing that I was happy to talk yeah. to anyone and say... But you do all this... the background stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it was a, it was just a good combination. But the, mm. the core principle behind it was we had both done a bunch of sketch comedy before through university yeah. reviews and stuff like that and we wanted to get into stand-up because we realised if you weren't part of that world, you're actually disconnected from mm. what comedy was in Australia and your career, if your career was going to progress, you had to be a part of that. This yeah. is very strategic thinking. I'm someone who walked away from a job in a massive law firm, so I had to... Ah, you're right. To, to make my yeah. parents not completely disown me, I had to make a career There had to off. be a plan, <laughs> an action plan. Yeah. The, the simplest thing of it was, though, we had both started doing stand-up. At that time in Melbourne, it's probably not that much different now, there weren't many small rooms... You would get a gig, you'd get an open mic spot to do five minutes and then you might get another one two months later, three yeah. months later. And we just figured out that you can't learn and improve if you've got one gig every two yeah. months. 
And so we were like, well, let's run our own gig. That way we'll have a gig every week and we'll do it faster. Like yeah. we'll just learn, we'll make all these mistakes. And, mm. and the whole point, we called it stage time because it was literally about, about us get, getting stage time. Accruing some stage time. And then it evolved from there that we yeah. developed this lovely little scene, like this little mm. ecosystem of young comics that liked hanging out with other young people trying to do comedy. We made friends with mm. everyone. That was our social group. If we got other gigs, we'd all go and watch each other's gigs yeah, as yeah. well. And it grew out of that. If anything, that was the real beauty of it, was it, it became a bit of a meeting point at a central place for mm. people starting out. I think that's right, and I think that's why people still remember it now. But it's funny, you, you say that people will remember it now. Like, I, I think of you doing you there. We also did a raw comedy heat. I think we were in a raw comedy yeah. heat together at one point. I remember you came and gigged there, and I, I remember one of Geraldine Hickey's first gigs was. That's, that at would the be Darden. right. It would be mm. because she was in raw comedy that year as well. Yeah, and mm-hmm. we just thought she was super funny and wanted her to come along. And it was interesting. There were some really funny people who couldn't get a gig at other places for whatever reasons. Most of my time because they didn't know the right bloke. But I think, yeah, I think there was a lot of, I don't know, around that time there were a lot of very blokey, as you've identified, rooms where unless you were prepared to put in kind of the schmooze time and hang out there and be there week in, week out, you kind of didn't earn the right to get a gig or something. It was a little bit strange. And, and then also... It's really true. Yeah, some of those places, like, that would have been all right maybe if... You'd felt comfortable there. Yeah, if you'd felt comfortable hanging out there. Yeah. And that's it's the weird thing is, I'm a incredibly privileged middle class white. Man. No. Like, um, <laughs> but I've somehow made it. Um, but yeah. I. But it's funny. Like I understand all of that so much better now. Yeah. At the time, I had no awareness of any of that because, like, I, I just had that blinkered view that everyone just goes and asks for a gig, and you get a gig, or you don't yeah, get, you know, yeah, all of that. Yeah. I had no concept of the additional challenges that mm. you faced if you weren't a bloke starting mm. out in comedy. And it's funny, I think by accident, and I think it's just because Michael and I were fairly polite, well-raised guys, yeah, yeah. that we weren't mean, we weren't no. um, predators. <laughs> and we, but, <laughs> no, but you we, weren't. We, we also, clarify, we just, we yeah. never, funny's funny and, and it is funny. Yeah. And it might be generational that, you know, we just never came through with that perception yeah. that there was any difference or yeah. that, that there should be any difference. So maybe we were something of a safer space. We might mm. not have been entirely safe, but a safer space for yeah. all people starting out. Yeah, absolutely. Know. I would absolutely agree with that. <laughs> Just because Michael and I are safe beta mates. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are some aspects of this whole conversation that I will not go into. Okay. Like nothing's off the table. Don't no. worry. I'll, I'll talk about anything. Before it was the Royal Derby, it wasn't the first pub on the site. So it's on the corner of Alexandra Parade and Brunswick Street. Before it was the Royal Derby, it was the William Tell. And then it was the Globe Hotel, the Woods Hotel, the Derby, and then it became the Royal Derby. should go back to being the William Tell. That's a yeah. great name. Yeah, it was. It's such a great English-style pub yeah. name. Oh, you'd go down to the William Tell, wouldn't mm. you? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I love it. So in William Tell, mm. it, it, my understanding, you you have the William Tell overture, the da-da-dun-da-da-dun-da-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. yeah. Everyone knows it. But William Tell shot an apple off his son's head with a bow and arrow. That's right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Good yeah. stuff. See, you've got your logo ready yeah. to go. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, I think there are other William Tell. I think there was another William Tell pub in the nice. city. And you could, really have a, you could really have a great drinks promo that you come down, if you can shoot an apple off someone's yes. head, you get a free... Appletini you know, like or a, something. A, an Appletini, <laughs> yeah. beautiful. And That's then, very modern. And I was yeah. just going to go a jug. But yeah, Appletini. <laughs> Don't think I've ever had one, but I'm sure it's a thing. 
It was a Royal Derby in the, and I've got an article here about when it changed licensees, which it did frequently. Mm. And so this one is from yeah, 1888 and it's from the 25th of October. It was in the Mercury and Weekly Courier. Royal Derby Hotel. At the invitation of Mr Cody, we paid a visit to his establishment, the Royal Derby Hotel, at the corner of Brunswick Street and Alexandra Parade. Now, when it says the invitation of, I am suspecting that this article is something of an advertorial. Yes. It, yeah, it feels like it. Is this just an announcement of a change of licence? Is it like, it's, it's very or is positive. It a press release? It's a very positive article. I think they invited the journalist along. They probably gave them some drinks, said, yeah. have a look. Maybe they were friends. Yeah. Let them know how we're going to be doing it. Yeah. Hey, we've roasted a pheasant. Grab yeah. a drumstick. Exactly. Absolutely. That type of thing. How did you advertise um, the, da- the stage time, rather? We almost didn't. Like, like it was word of mouth and we mm. tried to build an email list. But one amazing... Ever invite any journalists down there and just give them drinks? We did, well... Ply them? For Fringe Festival and stuff, we did, like... Yeah. Well, yeah. We That's actually part of we it. probably tried to ply journalists with drinks. That's <laughs> yeah. really true. The only time we really did advertising, you would be familiar possibly with Kevin White, who runs yeah. Token. Yeah. yeah. Um, who's probably the most powerful person in comedy in Australia. Mm. Yeah. I, I think that's almost 100% yeah, I think that's safe a to given. say. Yeah. There's a lot of reputation that comes with that. But as a young comedian starting out, he couldn't have been more supportive. And there was yeah. a point where, like, he came down to stage time and saw what we were doing and afterwards he said, just come in for a meeting this week. And we went in and he was smoking in his office you know, <gasps> back in the days. It was great. And Classic. I was a heavy smoker and I was, this is heaven, welcome to showbiz. Yes. <laughs> but he said, there's no point me managing you guys and taking your money now because you're not making enough money <laughs> you know, yeah, to yeah. justify that. And it just means you won't have petrol. <laughs> but he, he said it's important that rooms like yours keep going. And mm. he wrote a cheque so that we could buy ads on PBS and Triple R and we recorded a bunch oh, of, wow. uh, in hindsight, probably unlistenable ads. We recorded a bunch of ads that ran for about three months and it was something that we could absolutely never have afforded yeah. and never expected anything in yeah. return. I think I've paid it off now, <laughs> but it's it, that was probably the only way we advertised back in the day. And, and it was funny, what he believed was right. You need to have rooms like that. Getting back to what we were saying before about the, the impenetrable blokey rooms mm. that if you weren't called Dave, it was hard yeah, to get a gig. absolutely. I think Kev understood that to have a proper comedy scene, you needed places like that and the Prince Pat going because mm. it's where comedy is actually invented. It's not just sold, you know, yeah. and, that's, and they're different things. He's your manager now, isn't he? He is my manager yeah, now, yeah. yeah. But he sort of held me off for a long yeah. time and he did that, I think, out of... Like, he, he, helped, he helped with some contracts and things but didn't manage me along yeah. the way. Like, was just very helpful and I also book people through Token to go on my TV show and yeah. I know that the, the experience of going through management as opposed to having management work with you is different. Yeah. But my experience is Kev's just lovely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, although I say that, he's, um, he's also given it to me straight when I've needed it along yeah, the really? way as well. Yeah. No one has ever one thing. Okay. How about that? Yeah. yeah that's like that's that. very true. I'll keep reading this article slash ad. The house has undergone a complete transformation. The old picket fence that was on the Brunswick Street front has been cleared away and a very handsome balcony erected around both frontages, mm. which will prove useful as well as ornamental. Indeed, after the heat... Good to point out. Mm. Yes. After the heat of the day, this will be a lofty and pleasant promenade. Get a nice cool breeze coming off Alexandra Parade. Yeah, no umbrellas mm. at this stage. Mm. And to those enjoying it, a beautiful panorama of the surrounding country presents itself. 
I wonder what the surrounding country looked like. Well, I can tell you. Um, So (laughs) it was not Alexandra Parade then. It was called Riley Street. It used to flood a lot and it was um, basically sometimes just like an open sewer. So they built an open drain. It's good that they had a balcony so they could really get that experience. So they built an Mm. open drain along there. So at this point there would have been the open drain, but it wasn't. It was meant to drain into the Mary Creek. It wasn't that successful and it often was flooding. People used to drown in it. Uh, a lot of Coming home from the pub. <laughs> yeah. Drowned in shit. Horrible way to go. That's another reason why I think this wow. article may have been um, a bit not entire... rose-coloured glasses. Exactly. You're <laughs> suggesting that they're gilding the lily just a little here. Just a little bit. Look, I'm yeah. not saying the balcony wasn't lovely on the Brunswick Street side. I just mm. think maybe around the Riley Street side what, it was a what bit... What newspaper was this again? Was this the this, Argus or something no, like that? No, it was the Mercury and Weekly Oh, the Mercury and... Yeah, right. That rag. Yeah. <laughs> the Daily Mail of the time. Mm. Mm. They did yeah. a great line in um, under boob. Or back, back oh, then it yeah. was back then it was under boob. ankle. Side boob. Side ankle. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Side ankle um, yeah. wardrobe malfunction. Siding of calf. <laughs> <laughs> That's the oh, derby. Wow. So it looks completely different with the balconies, which they obviously took down at some point because now it doesn't More not the have pity, that. I'd say. Although yeah, it's pretty. If, just judging by that, where they've got the footpath... I feel like that's been reclaimed in some way. Like, yeah. it feels like there's not that much room. No, yeah, I think it's the roads and everything are different now. It's so. beautiful. It's lovely. I'd it love to paint amazing. that white, though. Like, I think it would look terrific. Mm. Yeah, you really... With pop. a bit of a Hampton style. Mm, that's exactly mm. right. You know the... Put some Adirondacks up on the balcony. Mm. Hello. Yes. <laughs> I like it. Some hanging baskets yeah. out there. What was the building like? Did you ever... Because did you just stay in the pub area or did you ever wander up upstairs? Like, we used a kitchen as a change room at one point when we were doing some costume work. When things got serious. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. We went upstairs at one point just to look around. Yeah. But we were... It's funny. Our relationship with the Royal Derby, it's what I loved in your description saying the hotel changed licensees mm. a number of times. It changed licensees a number of times while we were there. Oh, really? And it's like we constantly had to convince new management that they should keep us. Yeah, okay. And it's like it's a Tuesday night. It yeah, what else is going and on? And we're bringing in 100 people. And they're like, yeah, but people watching comedy don't drink as quickly as if they're watching footy or just hanging out. I go, yeah, but no one would be here. Yeah. So we just had a string of managers that we were constantly oh, convincing right. that we yeah. should stay there. But we'd never really explored that much. I feel like there were some bedrooms where backpackers would stay upstairs when yeah, we were there. Pro- there was like some probably unlicensed backpacker scenarios going yeah, on. they were washing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't really a pub. I never went there except on Tuesdays for stage time. Did I you? had been there when I was a uni student. I was, this will surprise you, I was heavily involved in the Law Student Society ah. and was first-year coordinator mm. and I organised the O-Work pub crawl ah. in Fitzroy, which was quite a migration from Monash it to get to really, Fitzroy. Really and we started is. at the Builder's Arms <laughs> and worked our way through, I think mm. it was 12 pubs Wow! and ended at the Royal Derby because that was at the opposite end of yeah. Brunswick oh, yeah, Street. It is, so yeah. it was geographically. And what was amazing was the band Grand Wazoo were playing a gig there wow. when we got there. So there was a band stage. The room had a completely different orientation. It was the first place that I ever crowd surfed. 
Grand Wazoo, who I love, they're like a funk yeah. band, yeah, yeah. big around Carlton. And I ended up booking them playing our balls at uni and stuff like that. So it was, I had been there and had a great night, but that said, it was stop number 12 on a 12 pub. Yeah, pub so it was going to be great no matter I was what. Rolling <laughs> yeah. by then. I'll keep reading this. It's close proximity to the Fitzroy Railway Station, the football and cricket grounds, and being in the centre of Nicholson, Brunswick and Smith Street tram systems necessitated Mr Cody putting his house in order to meet the numerous calls that are made upon him by country people visiting the metropolis while the great show is on. So it was a country pub. Now, Now, were you you country folks? Penny. (laughs) Penny, I I recall you were regional. I was metropolitan. You were metropolitan. Yeah. Cosmopolitan, some would so say. So cosmopolitan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went a little bit off the radar. Oh, she's now very rural. Yes. Yeah. Not really. Feels rural when you go to your house with yeah. all the animals. No, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I was a country person. I was saying to Christina before that, you know, it was, it's not always easy to make friends when you first move to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And probably when I started doing stand-up and started coming to the Derby was the first time, the first you, place. The I first had, time like, you made a friend. Well, it wasn't the first friend, but it was a first... It's where you learned how was, to make a friend. Yeah. It, was, <laughs> it was that social skills course yeah. that ran just before. Oh, my before God. then, it was parallel and play then, up until university. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> if that was your um, way, like just comedians were your first friends. God. Yeah. No. You'd be fine. I, yeah, but it was the first place that was like outside of the friends I had who moved to the country, at the same, who moved to the city at the same time. So it was like, You're doing a lot of scrambling. But what's <laughs> interesting about that to me is... This is definitely paid advertorial. This is unbelievable, this article Mm, that we're reading. Like, it's obvious grift. But I remember as a kid, uh, my grandmother taught me that the Vic Hotel in the city... Mm. Yes, that was. ...was where if people came in from the country, that's that's where they stayed. They They knew that's where they stayed. Yeah, somewhere they could feel comfortable. And Mm. and it's it's so funny to me. Feel comfortable... Supported. ...away from these all these, what, shysters in the city, these... Fast-talking, no, the staff confidence tricksters. Yeah. You, when you <laughs> don't come from the city, you feel very frightened of escalators. Oh. You feel... <laughs> <laughs> you think everybody knows more than you. Everyone knows where everything is and you don't know and they're going to think you're stupid That's and they're going to laugh at you. As you know, we're scared of livestock mm. and don't know so which end of a yeah. cow to milk. So am I. Okay. confusing times. But so that's interesting that that was still an angle for this, if you were coming oh, yeah. in from the city, that that was right. Interesting, though, Fitzroy train station. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm curious to know where this Fitzroy station was and, yeah. and why would I have happened? any more? Maybe trams we'll dig it up. sorted that out. Yeah. After this, we'll go, we'll find, yeah. Yeah, we'll head we'll out find the bloody foundations or something. Okay. <laughs> Consequently, he has about 13 rooms exclusive of those used by his family. And in this department, the bath has not been overlooked. Good. Good. Which actually at the time it was often overlooked. Imagine not if it had A lot been. of places didn't have baths, didn't have toilets, that sort of thing. So there were toilets. It was a bit of an opt-in. We it feels like a bath was an opt-in yeah, for most was. people a visiting yeah. as well. Exactly. Additional extra. Mr Cody... Country folk just going, ooh, a bath. <laughs> Haven't had one of those for a few years. Mr. Cody is busy making provision for the accommodation of a number of his country patrons who have to travel by road in the shape of stabling and yard room. Mm. Mm. This feature we know from experience will be appreciated. People came clip-clopping into town. They did. They did hot and try. I also read in a separate article it said that sometimes they did not like to clip-clop in the city, though. They wanted mm. to park the horse at the hotel and, and then go for a go 
on the tram, a little bit scared of the city traffic, mm. which totally, totally get it. makes yeah. sense. See, and now, now that I think of it, I feel like the outdoor area there may have had what were the remnants of stables that were okay. repurposed into other buildings. I don't think I ever saw the outdoor area there. There's a bit of a courtyard outside. It's all adding we up. We were the one reason to come to the yeah. derby. Well, 100%. Yeah. And then it craps on a bit more about how you can leave your parcels there and someone else can pick them up and oh, there's going to be, nice they're going to put the scores. Can't do the... that post-September 11. No. No, no. we'll no. get to that. And then just at the end of the article, I don't know, I, this is completely irrelevant, but I'm just going to read it anyway. One of the saddest and most touching sights in life is that of a young man who has spent six months in coaxing and waxing a moustache into a respectable size and shape mm -hmm. and then, in the act of lighting a cigar with a slip of paper, burns and scorches the whole institution into an unrecognisable mass of singedness. That is an unnecessary detail. Nobody <laughs> Shaming needed that. that poor guy. Yeah. I mean, wow. it was obviously relatively common, though. You can imagine they didn't have... People needed to use a fire-retardant <laughs> wax. Mm. What are they doing? What, that paraffin one... or something? Yeah. Idiots. So Kerosene. Kerosene. <laughs> <laughs> that never happened to you? Mm -mm. No, I was a smoker and... But you never set your beard on No, fire. I think I accidentally burned my beard. No, my, I had a terrible goatee, which some may recall. I'm trying to think remember. if I had that when I started. Maybe I'd, maybe I'd gotten rid of that by the time I started comedy, but back at uni I had one and I definitely burned it smoking. Yeah, nice. Okay. Oh, so it is very common and we shouldn't laugh. It's not very common. Two incidents that, that we know of. No. Well, it's a bit of a, it'd be a bit of a coincidence this one happened and I ask you. Yeah. It's a lovely... Uh, okay. It's in the paper. It was Patrons, very common then. Those associated with the Royal Derby Hotel... Mm. It's co it quite common. Just a random... uh, but the Royal Derby was not just a pub for drinking. It did have entertainments. It had tournaments. It had community group meetings. Tournaments. Drafts. Uh, drafts. <laughs> tournaments is one of drafts. That drafts. The board game. The board game. Yeah, wow. that, and wow. that had an extremely exciting game of drafts mm. that had a long write-up in the paper. Really? I nearly Gosh. read it, but we don't have time. Mm. It's chess for the everyman. It is. It's Do you stuff. like drafts? Well, well, mind, drafts can yeah. be fun. It's yeah. good fun. It's more fun than chess. I can. Do you not like chess? No, I don't know. How Too to much do thinking. It. Too it's much. a lot of thinking. Too much bloody thinking. Yeah. Give and me drafts or. <laughs> yeah. Red oh, or hungry, black. hungry hippos. Yeah. That's, that's the sport of kings. I like yeah. how we... Yes, who? Yeah. <laughs> drafts, you can be very reactive. I feel yeah. with chess, you really do need to think ahead. But anyway... That's so... where I've been going wrong. I'm a bit impulsive. Yeah. <laughs> I've completely misunderstood the yeah. game of chess. <laughs> this is an article about the Fitzroy Brass brand who used to perform there. So this is also Who from... hopefully became Grand Wazoo at some point. Yes. They had a big horn section. So, yeah. Ah, yes. I, I, I wonder it. if Grand Wazoo knew that, knew the traditions that they were stepping oh, into. I think they might probably have. Not. They probably really thought about it. <laughs> this is also from the Mercury and Weekly Courier, 13th of June, 1889. The Fitzroy City Brass Band still continues its weekly recitals on the balcony of the Royal Derby Hotel, Brunswick <gasps> Street. Well, this is a great thing. It's <laughs> <laughs> like New Orleans. Yeah, literally. Come on. Yeah, get and out there. Judging from the numbers that assemble in the open surrounding, the efforts are largely appreciated. Oh. Largely it's appreciated. a small number yeah, who I do think they... not appreciate. Oh, what I wouldn't give for a review at a Melbourne Comedy Festival, largely appreciated. <laughs> <Yes>. Three stars. <laughs> are you doing a show this year? I'm not doing a show okay. this year. Okay, yeah, no, it's too much work. Um. <laughs> it's, it's too much work when... I'm doing the weekly at the same time. Yeah. That's, that's just the trick. That's a lot. I tried a couple of times and once failed to muster a show and another time <laughs> mustered, mustered a terrible show. Oh. 
Okay, so do, do people turn up the time you no, did? No, I managed to. I managed. Someone else needed to move into a bigger venue, and I managed uh, to just, just slide them in. There's yeah. nothing like a, a welcome cancellation is there? when yeah, you that, were worried about doing something, and then you decide not to do it. It's yeah. a great feeling because the terror you have cancelling is what other people will think. Yeah, and when they're cool with it, yeah, just go, oh, it's fine. But I've learned that lesson too many times. Mm. I just cancel everything now. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I've got ADHD. So yeah, nice. Yeah. I got diagnosed uh, last year. How exciting, yeah. Yeah, it's so exciting, isn't it? All of a sudden you look back on your life and go, that's why. A lot of that makes sense now. Oh, brass bands were very big at this time. There were brass bands. Every suburb had its own brass bands. They would have brass band competitions. Mm. Um, We're talking to someone... Lots of police bands. The police police had lots of brass bands. So the article continues, Victoria is rapidly coming to the front as a music-loving community Mm -hmm. and it is not too much to say that Fitzroy has a right to feel proud at possessing such an eminently qualified band of musicians in its midst. Wow. That's a glowing review. It's a lot. That's beyond largely appreciated. And (laughs) and these brass bands, like, really represented the communities that they were from, like... Oh, it's music of the streets. Yes. Yeah, taking it to the people. Yeah, and you didn't have to pay for a ticket. You just go outside. There they are. And under the balcony. Whether you like it or not. (laughs) Exactly. In consequence of the excellent provision which Mr Cody, licensee of the hotel, has made for this band, it has enabled it to give oral demonstration of its efficiency. I think that's how they got the article written. Yep. Yeah. Um, Mr Cody here is oh, he is something sounds. of a patron. He's a Medici-type he, figure mm, of Fitzroy. Exactly. Balconies, Brass bands, bands, drafts. Drafts competitions. It's all going on. He's Country lovely. folk can come and stay and feel yeah. comfortable. You and can leave your pony get, there. Exactly. Their horse will get a nice pile of yeah. hay. Yeah. And Dota for the pony. Catch a tram. Dota Yep. Bit of a scrub. In-house farrier. Yeah. Lovely. Pick a colour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For stage time, though, music, yeah, you'd have your musical comedians coming on. No, we would have musical comedians. Later on, when we were not at the Derby, we were down the road a mm. bit at Bar Open. We mm. came back when we were a little bit older. It was a Sunday afternoon gig. Oh, and yeah, I would I put that. musical acts on in the yeah. intervals. We'd do yeah. three sets, which was an agreement with the pub that we had to have two breaks for people to buy booze. It's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty basic show business, yeah. and um, and so we would have acts like Geordie Lane would play quite a bit, Jess McAvoy, and we had yeah. a few others, but some really good artists. Like we would have music, but in our day, it was musical comedians. We managed to secure a tripod once. That's early exciting. Days. You would have been so excited. We were. I remember probably the first big act, maybe the first big. Like, we got Will Anderson oh, during a comedy yeah. festival and we offered him an insultingly low amount of money and he wouldn't even accept it. No. Oh. That was, it was such a big deal. Yeah. And what was great, mm. what was funny about that was Michael and I, were we made sure that we were on that night and yeah. we pulled out our best shit. Mm. Like, we just were there to impress Will so much. Yeah. And it's funny, I think... Tripod and Will and some of those bigger acts that came along, they'd just heard from people about this room. Kev would have told people about yeah. it, you know. And there, it just got a bit of a word that it was a fun place to go and perform. Yeah. And yeah. we loved that. What we loved was we would have someone doing their first mm. ever gig and it would be headlined by Will or Tripod yeah. or someone okay. like that. So getting back to mm. how Michael and I were very good organised boys. Well, something like someone that. was. Yeah. And, so and, we, and the other person was very dynamic. When we started the room, everyone that performed, this was for about the first year, everyone that performed, we gave them a letter 
like we we had written a letter for all performers stating that we would book a headline that we could pay mm. and everyone else we said we can't always pay but we will pay you before we pay ourselves and that was our rule we would do a door split and we would pay everyone else before we took any money ourselves. I have to find it. There was a letter of intent about what the room was going to be and why we were running it, and we gave that to everyone, and they understood. And oh, knew. wow. They like, it's yeah. like they knew where they stood with us, and I think that was another thing that kind of set us apart a little yeah. bit. Because people, there's not always a lot of transparency no. in um, rooms, and no. often you didn't even know if you were going to get paid yeah, absolutely. Um, or what the deal was, and then yeah. it was, it's a little bit like the end of a party where you go up You're and hovering you're, around awkwardly. Hovering, and, you, you know, the kids' parties and they're not meant to ask for the party bag, but they just sort of yeah, stand right. <laughs> And that, you know, you would get free beers and hopefully yeah. with enough of them you'd forget that you were meant to get exactly. 20 bucks at the end of the night. Um, but there was another musical element of the night that I think was very important, uh, and that was your theme song. Oh, yeah. Which was the theme song to Cheers. <laughs> how, why, how did you decide on that? That is, that is 100% the perfect alchemy of Michael and my brains. Yeah, right. We are kids who grew up watching Cheers. Like, that yeah. was just part of our heads. I, I had I was teaching myself to use very early days After Effects, uh, Adobe After Effects, which oh, was, yeah. like, graphics software. And so we're running this little production company. I'm trying to make cool titles, and I taught myself how to animate, basically. Yeah. And then I was just looking at it going, I reckon I can make, a like, a sitcom title sequence here. And I said to Michael... What would you think if our room started with a sitcom intro and we used the theme from Cheers? And he just was like, that's the that's us. That's yeah. 100% <laughs> us. And so it started, I almost remember it shot for shot. You might remember the start of the Cheers credits yeah, yeah. has like a horse and cart go in front of the, the, yeah. the, the pub and then it pauses, turns black and white, zooms in, and then we're in all these historical shots of mm. the old pub. I set up a camera and I filmed... Like it was like an '88 Mitsubishi Magna drove in front of the pub, and I and I filmed it, and we had it pause and turn to black and white and zoom in. Yeah, nice. And then it went to shots from the first season we'd had for the Fringe Festival. There were shots of like Lawrence Lung holding up a broken oh, scooter. Yes, and, yeah, I remember and that. So yeah. Michael and I, and, yeah. and so all of these photos that have been taken from the first time we did it. I set it up and and did titles like it was Cheers, and that became that was the that was how we started the room, and so the evening would start when the lights went down and the video started played Cheers, and we would start, and then at the end of the night, this is how insanely nerdy we were. I would make a second lot where we would roll credits on the night, which had everyone who performed, yeah, yeah. and it was the instrumental version from the end of Cheers. <laughs> it's beautiful. And there was once that Michael actually played the instrumental version on clarinet on stage. Oh, that's yes. right. That, was that like a copyright violation? What's going on? I mean, probably. Yeah, I <laughs> had think Had you filled so. in the form? No, we did not fill in the Napa <laughs> form. I can't remember the artist who did it now. But, I mean, that guy, he bought a yacht. He, he, He's, like, oh, he look, I'm not like, worried he about He made a fortune. It was the highest rating show on TV. Yeah. And he brought out an extended version of it mm. as a single that went to number one. I, I know a bit too much about this song, yeah, yeah. so it's fine. He's fine. I think and everyone's fine. We made fine. nothing off it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm only asking because I'm going to learn how to play it on the piano and play it. And it's, oh, it's like beautiful. A, and, um, yeah. But it's funny, it was, once again, a little bit of a statement of intent about what our room was. Yeah. And it was like we want everyone who comes to see the show to feel like they're they're part of it. Yeah. We knew mm. all the punters. We knew most of them by name. Even when it got 
bigger and bigger and we'd have 120 people in. There were regulars that would be there early, sitting at their regular tables. Yeah. We knew who they were. All of the acts we made friends with in yeah. some way, that was what we were trying to do. We were trying to make, as well as the selfish aspect of us just getting on stage enough to get better at what we were doing, yeah. we wanted to have a place where people could be a part of comedy and not be intimidated and feel yeah. like they were a part of something. Yeah, absolutely. Right, good on us. Oh, it was lovely. There you go. Absolutely lovely. And then as soon as things went well, I cut everyone loose <laughs> and went for gold. Yeah. <laughs> you got what you wanted I and got you left everybody I'm... else behind. Yep. Yeah. This Joe Cody guy, as you said. Mr Cody. Mr Cody. Mm. He, like, what a lovely man. He's got the beautiful balconies. He's got the brass band. He's got, as we know, he's got a little, awesome a little area where you can set fire to your moustache at will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very welcoming. But I did find another article. Oh, and I forgot to warn you about this, Christina. I oh, apologise. This is from the Argus. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> we're just jumping stepped ahead. up in newspapers yeah. right now. It's, yeah. We're jumping ahead to 1900. Good. And it's, a, it's someone remembering. How long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this well, is the last we're just article. Exploring our way through the 20th century now. <laughs> and it's titled Rat Catching Experts' Experiences. The rat, with its ugly snout, prominent incisors, and scaly tail, has, on account of its reputation as a medium of spreading the bubonic plague, achieved a worldwide notoriety. This is not coming out of nowhere. 1900, there was uh, a bubonic plague outbreak. Was there? Yes. Gosh, I was thinking, well, Worldwide. the bubonic plague's well and truly over. No, I remember it. I remember you don't remember it? flew around that time. Yeah, no, that's a bit later. The old bubos, I thought, I thought we were done. Killed millions of people worldwide and... Oh. Yeah, but what doesn't? Exactly. It I, came, mean, I mean, I'm not worried. It came to Australia mainly in Sydney, but people were worried. People were worried about rats. This... People are right to be worried about rats. Let's yeah, not, just let's in not general. Dis, you know, let's not disabuse people of that notion. How do it's you not feel... all ratatouille. Yes. How do you feel about rats? I don't like them. Okay. I really don't like okay. them. All right, you might be right. I remember my wife went out and spent a night with a rat catcher in New York. She was possibly uh, going to write a piece oh about him. Oh, my God. Him. They're supposed to be enormous. And, and like, yeah. The yeah, rat catcher. No, no. The rat catcher. No, no. Yeah, his big. BMI was yeah. way off. But. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny. He was waging a war. Yeah. And it was like he went to war every night against the rats. Wow. And, and he gave the impression that if at any point we're not at full mobilisation against rats, they will take over. Right. And, and I imagine, like, oh. our city is cleaner and it's not as big yeah. and there's not as much trash and it's a bit more regulated than New York is, but I have a, I have a feeling... He was on to something. ..that it's full court press against rats and if you ever let up, you're in trouble. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh. one thing that I read in this article, I'm not going to read this section out, but that apparently some of the rat catchers would not catch all the rats... Because this is their job. You don't want to go somewhere oh, and catch no. all the rats. So you've got to create supply and demand. So you, interesting. you catch most of the rats, you leave 10% behind, mm. you come back. In, come back next Thursday. Because yeah. it, it, it appears to have worked for a number of months. Yes. It's not my fault they came back, mate. No. Yes. That's you running a, running a dodgy yep. lot. And yeah. then I told my dad this and he's like, oh, yeah, that's like the rabbit catchers. So yeah. this journalist right. went and found a very successful rat catcher and interviewed them about their job. Hugh Smith, who had his trap set under the pier on Tuesday evening and was seated above smoking a cigarette 
answered a number of questions concerning his business. He's, oh, great image. It's just painted yeah. a beautiful picture of this guy. Yeah, this is a good journalist, this one. He said, some people say there's nothing in fishing until they try it. I say there's art in it, and so there is in rat catching. Wow. Mm. He's taking it seriously. That's he a, is. Do you know that's a... It's an art. It's odd. That... I, I could be wrong. This is so nerdy. That sentence... I'll be the judge at that. That sentence is a variation on a line from a book called The Complete Angler, which is from, like, the I think the 1800s in England. Mm. It's about passion for fishing. There is a line in it, fishing surely is an art and an art worth your learning. Mm. And just the way he described it there, yeah. that some say that fishing is, is an art and then applying the same to the rat catcher. I'm fascinated with this rat catcher. He seems... Yeah, he's a deep I have a feeling as he's dragged on a cigarette, he's he's read a couple of... (laughs) I think so. A couple of little pocket volumes of things along the way. Yeah, that's very possible. Is is comedy an art? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to quote quote someone else and... um, Someone who I would say is like my foundational comedian, who was the the comedian that I was I was into a number of comedians, but it's the one that I heard that I was like, I'm going to do comedy, and it was Bill Hicks, and he once said in an interview that comedy is an art, but it's the only art that could begin with the words, "Are there any birthdays in tonight?" <laughs> and, and it's a humbling concept. It's an art. It's also a trade, and it's a craft. And, and is it and, a science? Uh, it's a. Do you know it's what? not a science. I'll answer that for you, Charlie. It's not a science. No, it's, I don't think it's a science <laughs> given the definition of what science is. Yeah. I had a wonderful conversation with John Clark about oh, a sketch yeah. that we had written. Mm. Actually, Tom and I doing a tribute to Clark and Dorr. Tom Gleeson and I oh, doing lovely. a tribute to Clark and Dorr. We wanted to use the music from Clark and Dorr and, and John Clark owned the rights, so I had to ask yeah. him in person. And we ended up having this beautiful... It's not the cheer scene. No, it's not. (laughs) Um, And we had this beautiful conversation about a sketch and uh, and when you write a sketch or when you write something and you know you can feel it click into place and it's Mm. right. He said it's somewhere between poetry and physics. I feel that's quite true. It's it's, uh, physics, poetry and maths. Like there is... When things... Sometimes it's just random and... But sometimes when you build it and you grind at it Mm. and you get something to work, it is you've discovered a truth that was there mm. all along but you had to go the, through the process. There's definitely there. connections of logic that remind me of maths in some ways. Um, have you read Lauren's um, memoir about her dad? Lauren no, Clark? No, not yet. Oh, my God, it's good. Yes. I read it the other day. I just It was so generous of her to share that relationship that she had with her dad. She's an incredible writer yeah. too. She's mm. wonderful. And mm. she's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just got the most wonderful impression of their family. Okay, I'll keep reading about these bloody rats. Okay. Bloody rat. I believe the rat is the most cunning of all animals. This is the rat catcher talking. Except the human. Mm. Anyway, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to. Or is it the mosquito? Or is it the fox? Yeah. So many mosquitoes questions. aren't that cunning. You just, no, you're it's gone. just always yeah. the mosquito. Like, you know, it's just that they're smuggling malaria. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They kill the most. I believe the rat is the most cunning of all animals, and if you don't know something about its habits and its cunning, you'll never do much good as a trapper. That might be where I've been going for. <laughs> Every night I'm out there with my fishing rod, yeah, not is, catching any. That is a common trope when it comes to rat catching 
is about understanding the mind of the rat. Mm. And if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever had an exterminator like set up rat traps at your house, if you've ever had a rat problem. Mm. Or a I've had a problem. rat problem, but I've never actually had an exterminator in. You just did it with a sausage and a, and a mallet. Yep, and just got out there. Set by a whole sausage yep. and a mallet. Ready, ready to go. No, I just had some, some bait stations happening. But that's, it's funny, I had one who explained heaps about yeah. the mindset of the rat yeah. and the way they work. It must and be a real calling rat and catching. It's, it's a real um, popular thing in literature as well, the idea of the rat catcher. There's quite a few um, books and stuff. Always pay your rat catcher. Books and stuff, yeah. I'm like. Always and pay stuff. your rat catcher because yes. otherwise they will steal your children. Yes. Yes. That's the rules. Or release rats into your bedroom. That's right. Mm. Oh, shit, a brick. <laughs> <laughs> you can okay. take the children, just don't release the rats. <laughs> I'll carry on. Melbourne is alive with rats. And how few know how to catch Some them. Some of them are in a jazz band up on the <laughs> balcony. <laughs> <laughs> Some years ago, we used to trap from 300 to 400 rats a week for the rat pits. And we got four mm, pence. And what are the rat pits? Yeah, what are the rat pits? Well, carry on. We got four pence and sometimes six pence a head for them. Oof. It paid us very well. But when the bad times came, the sport was given up. The bad times are the 1890s recession, I'm assuming. When people couldn't pay for a rat to be killed. Yeah, you know what? People in recessions, people, their leisure is often the first thing to go, their leisure activities. Yeah, but um, lipstick and stockings. Yeah. They keep paying for those, do they? It's like luxury. Yeah, little luxury. It's little luxury feel goods. Yes. Yes. Ice creams apparently do quite well. But not the rats. I wear wear ice cream as lipstick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The yummiest kind. (laughs) Okay, replying to a query... As to the exact nature of the sport, (laughs) could have been your query. Smith said, there used to be rat pits in Melbourne where sportsmen took their dogs and had competitions in rat killing. Oh, that's gross. Joe Cody, our our Renaissance man, of the Royal Derby Hotel Collingwood. Excellent. Had one of the best pits. Here he comes. And he took at least 300 rats a week from us. The pit was surrounded by plate glass, six or... Six or 12 rats at a time were let into it by me and two dogs were then put in and the test was to see which of them would kill the most in the quickest time. Oh, that's brutal. (laughs) It's interesting, Michael and I, that's initially what we'd planned to do. (laughs) Yeah. It just evolved a little bit from there. It just did. Yeah. We just couldn't get it. We couldn't catch the rats. rats. Yeah. And we and, and we had trouble building the plate glass octagon. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. People were reluctant to bring their dogs. And thank, the, God, thank God TV came along. I know. But the Rough Terriers Club used to meet at the Derby. Oh, the Rough Terriers Club. It's not it the smooth. makes sense. Yeah. But do you reckon there's any parallels between what Joe Cody, the organisation that he would have had to put in? Absolutely. It's the same thing, really, isn't you it? You have to give the people what they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you not entertained? Uh, yeah. There is in that the nature of the pub as a centralised place of entertainment is yeah. hasn't changed a lot, and that is the same. And it's, it's an interesting feeds into the two, well, three human compulsions to socialise, drink, and be entertained. Yes. And and it's I a think there's another placement. one. <laughs> Oi. Oh. Yeah, I get you. Did any of that happen for not for, for me? But not at the Royal Derby. No, I, not I don't, for I don't me. think not specifically at the Royal Derby. Uh, the sport was grand. I bet it was. And when they say the sport, they it was gambling. Ah, oh. yeah. I mean that's they weren't that's the just sport. watching yeah. the rats and the dogs. People I mean, aren't into that 
Are people aren't that into watching horses run. No. no, it's just about the gambling. Exactly. The hotel keeper did well by it, and the owners of the dogs enjoyed the sport. It helped to keep the, down the rats too, and the sooner it is started again, the better. Excellent. Bring mm. it back. No, yep. I've, I've always said that, and mm. I think that will be a feature piece on the weekly. Yeah. Yes. Bring when, back the rat pits. Yeah. <laughs> when we took them to Joe Cody, he wouldn't pay for them unless we handled each one sat, and satisfied him that it was lively and strong. Ew. Now, you did not do that with your accents. No, we didn't. And that's why people liked the we room. Had a, we had yeah. a strict no handling <laughs> <Yeah>. policy. <laughs> They were fine times, I tell you. We did something to keep the rats down then, but now Melbourne and all the suburbs swarm with them, and if the plague only gets amongst the rats, it will spread all over the city. Then, if the rat pits are revived, you will have no difficulty in supplying them, asked the journalist. Oh, no, we could get, a ha- get hands to supply any number required. And I don't know if that would have helped during COVID, just opening the rat pits again. Yeah, just and televise it. Yeah. Well, I... Feels I like became, the answer to everything. I became fascinated during COVID with what was going on during curfew. Right. Oh. Because I had this belief. This they were deeply underground. Held, deeply held belief just that all manner of nonsense was going <gasps> on after curfew. I had yes. no idea. And I would be unsurprised if there weren't a couple of off-the-books off rat pits that popped oh. up. So. Were there any traces of the rat pit left at the derby when you were there? there look, not that I... Literally or metaphorically? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> metaphorically, us. Um, but Not positive Literally, I don't, I don't know, nothing like that. But what I will say is there was definitely an underground <laughs> chamber at the hotel, oh. which a lot of pubs have because the, the... That's the, where they keep the, the beer, isn't Yeah, it? the trucks rock up, rock yeah. up and they drop the... The kegs down, they roll them down yeah, onto, yeah. and they land on like a sandbag. Gosh, that's primitive, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but they haven't figured out another way around mm. it. The reason <laughs> I know that there is an underground area at the Royal Derby Hotel is the trap door to get down to it oh. was right next to the stage. In yes. fact, part of the stage was over the trap door. And it, there was one night that the, it was like the third manager we had who really didn't get showbiz. And he st- opened the door, while the show's on, opened the <laughs> trap door and started loading shit yes. down. I, I remember Michael being on stage just utterly baffled that anyone could, and the whole audience is just laughing their ass off, but it was genuinely strange. Like, what the hell? <laughs> but my favourite ending to a stage time was, it was at the end of the night and Michael was hosting and I was running the lights and... He started wrapping up the evening and thanking everyone for coming, getting yeah. round of applause. And as he's doing it, he slowly climbs down the ladder under the stage and stayed down there talking for like 10 minutes. <laughs> so the stage was completely empty. He sang a song. He cho- and, and everyone, there was something so insanely funny about watching an empty stage just with this mic lead going into the basement. And it was, yeah, so I remember that. That was my favourite mm. my favorite end to a night at stage oh, time. Yeah, it's beautiful. Not the most memorable end to a night at stage now, time. Now, I don't know if we have time to talk about what was probably, I think was probably the most... Well, we've got to do it now. We've got to do it now. Okay. Get in so, there. So, stage there? time, I was there. Yes. So, it was September 11th, 2001. We just had stage time. I was on, did very well. And uh, then... Pre-attack. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't get up yeah. after that. Yeah. No. You're like, well, this will be tough to follow, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> no. When, um, and then Charlie, I think you got the news. I got a text on my yeah. phone 
saying, turn on the TV now. And this is as Michael is wrapping up the night and I was just on the sound decks and I actually plugged in a microphone and said, hey, uh, Michael, just got a text. Oh, gosh. Uh, saying, turn on the TV now. Do you want to do it? And it was like, what's it going to be? And they said, put Channel 7 on now or whatever. And we're like, this is the end of the common night. It's been a great night. Yeah. We turn on the TV and, like, it's one tower with smoke mm. coming out and we're all just, what? And it really killed the comedy yeah. night. It did not help the comedy night Hysteria at all. Hysteria setting. Yeah. But we stayed in the pub until, like, 7 in the morning. Yeah. Like, we, we uh. stayed watching the TV all night. Drinking, like they kept, they they let us all stay there, and so we watched September 11 unfold yeah. in that room. I remember I went home. I live with my sister, and I woke her up, and I said, "Oh, this terrible, terrible things happened," and she just didn't get it, and so she just went, "Penny, I'm going back to sleep." Uh, I was, um, I can't remember what I'd been doing that evening, but I was staying at my boyfriend at the time's house. And, yeah, his housemate came running in, like, you've got to come and look at this. I guess, yeah, there was that sense of what is going on. And for some reason I felt the need to ring my parents in the middle of the night. I don't know. It it, it promoted very strange responses. Amazing the urge to check on people. Yeah, because I was like, Mum, Dad, you've got to get up and watch it. Are you okay? What the hell? It was an incredible moment. And Mm. I remember also very clearly how hard it was one week later to put on a comedy night because yeah. everyone was still in the kind mood of a was paralysis. not right for it yeah. it was yeah. pretty tough it was not a great gig the following no. week not only because i'd finished the previous show by putting that on the tv it was a terrible <laughs> closer i should yeah. have finished with the rat pit yes. would have been much better yes imagine if you'd wheeled out a little portable rat yeah. pit yeah. <laughs> Dad, wake up. There's something on the there's something on the news. There's something on the news. There's been a yeah. terror attack How in many? New York. I better get the rats. Yeah. How many rats will the terriers destroy? <laughs> How long did stage time go for and why did it stop? It had a number of almost lives, if that makes sense. And but at the Royal Derby, it was like only it was about, a year and a half, two years. It or? was about two straight mm. years at the Royal mm. Derby. And then I got a job in Sydney on Triple J which just meant that we couldn't do that anymore. And then later on, when I had moved back to Melbourne, we ran it at the Prince Patrick Hotel also, which I think is is Collingwood technically. And then break... No, then the Prince Pat, they stopped doing comedy there and Mm -hmm. we moved to Bar Open and we ran it there probably for a couple of years there. We had some huge shows like Flight of the Concords. Yeah, we blew cool. all our money flying Flight of the Concords over. You flew them over. They yeah, meant to fly and they stayed, they stayed on my couch. And we went through that and then it stopped and we kind of just made a decision that we had to move on. Like yeah. it was just kind of done. So we kind of run it at, at Bar Open and then we put on one last gig, which we put on at the Spanish Club. And it was a farewell gig and we got something like 600 people in. Like yeah. It was enormous and it was a really big show. So you've had a farewell gig, but are you going to reunite? Well, I, I mean, the, I think the biggest progress that Michael and I have made is that we're, he's the head writer on the weekly now. And he has been for the last two years. Oh, fantastic. Um, and so we are doing that. When you that. say the biggest progress that you've made. I'd say biggest progress because also coming out of stage time and everything that we – and we had a – Double Act called Boiling Point. We did some comedy festivals, mm. doing sort of new satire yeah. stuff. We got a Comedy Channel show out of that, which was drastically underfunded, and we worked like 20 hours a day. And yeah. it, like the night before we filmed our last episode, we had our first ever fight, and it was enormous. Yeah. And it was, just, but, it, but it was like, 
it was just a disagreement, probably 10 years of rubbing each other... Like, yeah. actually, 10 years of loving working together, but there would be things about him I didn't... Yeah. That, that I didn't like, and there were heaps of things about me that drove him fucking crazy. <laughs> and so there was a point where we just had a big blow-up. Yeah. And it was interesting. It was just like, and we finished the show, didn't get renewed, and then we just kind of took a couple of years off talking, but it wasn't like we were feuding. It's like we both just Just knew needed a break. We needed a break. And if you talk to anyone who has been in a duo of mm. any kind, it is the worst structure. It's a terrible decision-making structure yeah. because there's no one at the top to make the call. So mm. everything has to be a negotiation about all the... You know, like... Yeah. And it means that compromise is hard. You know, like there is... So, it, yeah. Sometimes it means quality because you only do the things you both agree on, which means you've, you've got yeah, a harder bar to clear. But it also just means that there's no-one else you can go, I mean, what's the fucking this guy, mm, right? You know, yeah. you... It, it, and it's been an amazing creative relationship, but we just had time apart and Michael went off and did amazing yeah. stuff and wrote and has done great stand-up and festivals and I've done whatever it is that I've done and now we're back together yeah. and it's actually great. It's like we're just there. It's like there's the pressure on it is different. It's not personal pressure anymore. Like, it's not that incubator of yeah. our whole lives are, re- are each other. So are you the boss now? Or is, uh... I mean, te- well, I mean no, obviously. Technically, I mean, I... I mean... It's funny, and this has kind of always been the case with Michael and I, is we both have a very... We've got the same idea of what good is. So whether it's a joke or an idea or something, it's like I, I can be rewriting one of his scripts and I, and we'll do it at a table with two laptops across from each other. And you won't make the same edits. We won't make the same edits, but I'll change a line and he'll go, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it's the same with him. Like, he will come up with a line and go, that's it. Got it. I, yeah. I can't wait to say that. We've always had the same idea of what good is, whether it's what a good comedy room was or what a good joke was yeah. or what we wanted to see in something good. or it, And in the acts that we would book, that was our idea of what good was. Mm. And, yeah. And, and like, so so booking, like booking you... you, for example, Penny, was exactly that about... We loved all your jokes start to finish when we saw you at, well, at Raw Comedy and we were like, got it. Like, that's our idea of what a good new comic is. Yeah. Mm. There were a couple of them a bit problematic, actually. Um, <laughs> I remember them being deeply racist. Yeah. I mean, that was a phase you went no, through. No, it was more ableist, actually. You cancelled. Um, <laughs> so I recorded a special. I've only recorded one special and it was ages ago. It was a hodgepodge of various material. It was fine. It was is what it is. But then it was kind of like it was sold to a network that they would put it on late at night, whatever, and that was fine. And then there was a point where it was going to be on again and I thought about the material and it's just like how the world moves on. I was like, oh, no, there's three bits of material that have to come out before that goes to air because yeah. I'm going to get cancelled for something yeah. that I said yeah. 12 years ago. When it made sense. Yeah, <laughs> when I was a white supremacist. And, um, <laughs> But, no, it is funny. It's it, Look, I love I, mean, I, I love the fact that that is the case. Mm. I, like, thinking back to maybe stage time was one of, was the early vanguard of what an inclusive room might look like, mm. and we still had no concept of what non-inclusive spaces were like. Yeah. And I like the fact that now comedy is inclusive, that there mm. is a platform for everyone to be funny. And I always have felt that the audience will decide. And it's sort of the lesson that we learnt... At stage time, it's the lesson they learnt running a rat pit. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, not that the morality of the audience is right, but an audience decides. Yeah. And they will always decide. And, if, and, and the people that you hear complaining that comedy's too woke, 
they're the people that can't get an audience to go see them and laugh at them anymore. Yeah. And it's not because we've stolen some magic trick from them that they had. <laughs> yeah. It's because their jokes actually weren't funny. Yeah. They relied on a whole bunch of things that people don't laugh at anymore. The idea that you should have... You're not a... There's no tenure. You're not yeah. a professor. Yes. Like you do, yeah. you, The industry changes, trends change. Think, and if you can't change with it, then you might find yourself at some points... Redundant. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's entirely true. You've and never, you can no, stay true to yourself and those jokes that other people don't like, and you can do that, but you yeah. can't expect you that do it at your own, perform at the yeah. mirror. At your own peril. No one, like, no one has the right to an audience. No one mm. deserves, you know, mm. like, yeah. no one's entitled to an audience. But thank you so much. I was oh, so thrilled yeah, when you, you said you'd come because I love reminiscing about the olden days. <laughs> but this has been a wonderful insight too into into the life of a working pub in the 1800s and early 1900s. I know. That's right. There's something quite magical about it. Yeah, and then, like, there's so many pubs just in Fitzroy. I think there's, like, there was um, up until 1905, there was something like 94 pubs. So every every single pub would have, you know, this same kind of stories. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny, this one, it's... Yeah. Like, you know, like, and I'm sure it was yeah. like quite nice for its day. I mean, Mr. Absolutely. Cody ran a, ran a respectable establishment. That's right. <laughs> but it's, you know, the, the feeling, that visceral feeling of what a different place the past was. Mm. But also, there's something quite reassuring about the fact that human beings were human beings. Like, yeah. we haven't evolved that much. No. We, I mean, Penny can't roll out the same ableist gear that she used. To. Well, I know. It's, it's good that you moved on from mm. that. Oh, yeah. That, look, no better, do better. That's always the motto. Yeah. You learn stuff, you change what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. No, no thank, thank you. Thank you for coming. on the initial article as being obvious paid <laughs> advertorial. Thanks, Trove. Yes, Trove. Good on you, Trove. We yeah. love Trove, all the lovely people at the National Library of mm. Australia and all their very hard work that they do. If love only them. all the, all the like, deep-pocketed corporate sponsors in the world were public, oh. public institutions like libraries. Mm. I know. Yeah, wouldn't it be great to be in the pocket of big Trove? <laughs> <Yeah>. Treasure Trove. <laughs> Treasure Trove. Yeah. Mm. <laughs>